I invite you to stand with me as I read from Luke 9, 10 to 17. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to the disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up twelve baskets of broken pieces. This is God's word. You may be seated. Lord, thank you that as we come to you this morning, you feed us from your word. And Lord, we thank you that your uh, supply is always abundant and more than we could ever uh, ask or dream of. And so, Lord, we ask you to speak to us this morning from your word, that we may hear your voice, that we may be changed uh, by what we hear. Thank you so much for what you have said. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. Thank you for your word to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we looked at the uh, sending out of the 12 to go to different villages, and they were told to take nothing with them, not a, not a basket, no bread, no food, no extra clothing, no money. And so they were to go out in what one author called a uh, calculated deficiency to go into ministry. And then they've come back, and they've reported to Jesus all that they have done and, and what had happened and then Jesus says, okay, ministry's exhausting sometimes, let's have a break. So he takes them away, and in Mark's gospel, they get in a boat, they kind of cross the lake, and people find them, 
and Jesus has compassion on them as, as he always does, and he draws them together. And we have this story told to us actually four times, this feeding of the 5,000. It is the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels. The only one, just this one, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, there's a lot of commonalities. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of course, they, they tell a lot of the same stories. John leaves out a lot of stuff, and he's very selective in the stories he tells. But this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. You could look this up in Matthew 14, Mark 6, and in John 6. It's also significant because there's some wording here that we only find in one other place, one or two other places in the Gospels, and we'll get to that. And it probably gives us a clue as to why this is the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels. So the crowds come back, or, or the crowds learn of it. They follow Jesus. He welcomes them. Often we'll pass over these really common, ordinary words. He welcomed them. He was trying to get away with the disciples, but Jesus welcomes the crowds, and he spoke to them of the kingdom and cured those who had need of healing. This is exactly what Jesus had sent the 12 to do earlier. Now, we don't know how long that took or how, what, what kind of time frame this was here, but they come back from doing this exact same thing, and then Jesus keeps showing them that this is what the mission is all about. And, and Jesus welcoming the crowds, Jesus' mission has these two things about them. And we talked a bit about this last week, the proclamation of the kingdom and the compassion of the Savior. There are truths we need to hear. There's truth that we need to hear, the proclamation of the kingdom, and then there is healing that we need to receive. Truth we need to hear and healing we need to receive. And to live in the welcome of Jesus is to hear his truth and receive his healing work in our lives. There is two aspects. There's the teaching, there's the compassion, there's truth and grace. There is the doctrine and the doctor. Sovereignty and saving, the promises of God's kingdom come in the presence of the king himself. Jesus is the one who can embody and minister in truth and grace in balance, John chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, John says, we've seen the glory of God, we have seen the grace of God and the truth of God in Jesus Christ in perfect balance and harmony. He was the one who could speak truth confidently and also be compassionate. And usually, I think, in my experience, I think if you look around, we're usually good at one of those more than the other. <laughs> Sometimes we're really good at truth but we lack in compassion. Or we're really good at compassion to the point where we don't really want to share the truth too much because that might make people upset. But Jesus brings both together. 
In a book I'm reading right now uh, called Christ and Church Leadership, uh, the, the author states that one of, the, one of the key characteristics we need to look at in church leaders is those who are hard-headed and soft-hearted. That we'd know the truth, that we would have confidence in what we believe, but have really soft, compassionate hearts for people. And that's a balance that's hard to maintain. <laughs> right? Because sometimes it's like, if people don't acknowledge our truth, then we just want to slap them upside the head. <laughs> right? We don't necessarily have the compassion piece. Sometimes we get to the compassion part and we, we, we want to love people so much that, that we're scared to tell them the truth for fear that it'll drive them away. And this, I think, is probably why Jesus sent the disciples out in twos. Right? Luke didn't tell us that. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus sent them out in twos. You got to have one, you kind of got, not one person can embody this perfectly. This is why we need to serve together. This is why community in mission and ministry is so important because we need truth and we need compassion and most of us lean one way or the other. We're kind of wired that way and we need the balance of each other in this. Hard-headed, soft-hearted. That's what we need to be. Now, not hard-headed to the point where you're not teachable. <laughs> Got to remain teachable. Got to be open to change. But soft-hearted to the things of God and the people that he's called into our sphere of influence. Because there's truths we need to hear and there's healing we need to receive. So Jesus welcomes the crowd and he speaks to them of the kingdom. He cures those in need of healing. But it's getting late now and the 12 come and say to him, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time because this passage starts with the word 12 and it ends with the word 12. So it kind of creates a, a bracket here. The 12 come and said to him, send the crowd away to the surrounding villages so they can find a place to stay and have provision, uh, find something to eat. This is exactly, you know, Jesus sent them away and they went into the villages and they found provisions and a place to stay. And disciples are being realistic and practical, right? We're in a desolate place, they say. There's 5,000 men, and Matthew adds the note at the end of that, not including women and children, so who knows how many, lots, thousands are out hearing Jesus. And so it just makes sense. We're in a desolate place. Send them on to the villages. Let's dismiss the crowd. We came out here for a break anyway. Send them away so they can find lodging and, and provision. The disciples, the 12, they're being realistic. They're being practical. But then Jesus turns to them and says, you give them something to eat. What? How is this possible? I think Jesus is here saying, what, what did I just send you out to do? How did I send you out? You had absolutely nothing. Right? Go back to the beginning where Jesus sends the 12 out. Don't take anything with you. Not, no, no money, no food, no extra tunic. Uh, depend on the hospitality of the people that you come across. And so Jesus is here turning the tables and saying, you are the guest, now you're the host. 
to all these people. And yes, I sent you out very deficient, so you'd have to trust me. So let's take that lesson and just turn it up a notch. Let's make it go to 11. And only musicians who watch Spinal Tap will get the reference. <laughs> you were provided for when I sent you out with nothing. You depended on the community hospitality. This is going to go both ways. God provided for your needs. Now stretch that lesson. Can God also provide when it's completely beyond your means? Can God do that? Do you trust me? Jesus is here again. He's going to reveal even more of who he is. And there receiving of this from, from the communities that they went into in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 9. It was through cultural expectation, yet there was still a risk involved. And here they are to act now as hosts to thousands, and the task is absolutely impossible. There is no way they can meet this need. They don't even have enough food for themselves. Five loaves and two fish. Like, and, and we're not talking like Texas toast, you know, sandwich bags from extra foods here. We're, we're talking probably little barley loaves. And actually, in John's gospel, it tells us that they found this from some kid who had a lunch. Yeah. Right? So there's, well, there's a boy here with food. Maybe we can use his. It's like they had, they had nothing. They had nothing. We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go buy food for all these people. And I think there's probably a little bit of sarcastic twang in that question. <laughs> like, are we really going to go and buy food for thousands? They didn't, yeah, right, don't take any money with you. Well, remember, we've got, the, we got the, the women who are financially supporting this cause, so there's them. <laughs> Just got to go back a chapter. I'm sure they were going, oh, great, he's going to tell the boys to feed them. <laughs> like they know anything about this. <laughs> there were about 5,000, and he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Get them to sit down in groups. The needs of these people are going to be met in a community setting, not individualistically. Now, if you do the math quickly, 5,000 divided by 50 is about 100 groups, not including women and children. I wonder how many groups these 12 then had to go and hand out food to. And they did so and had them all sit down. And now here is the section, this next verse is almost identical word for word in all four Gospels, which is highly, highly unusual. Even when the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are telling the same story, the grammar and the wording will change in Greek. But in this case, it is almost identical in all four. 
And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And there's four actions here that we need to hear. He took, he blessed, he broke, he gave. There is one other meal in the Gospels where these four words are used in this order. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and having given thanks, he broke it and said, take this, is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, and he gave it to the disciples. This is why all four Gospels have this in this same wording all the way through because this is a significant this is a significant moment and the early church viewed the parallel with the Lord's Supper and it's written about in the early church fathers numerous times this way and John 6 connects this directly now John 6 the whole chapter and it's the longest chapter in John 50, 60 some odd verses is all about this miracle and then Jesus saying, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And it's the hardest saying, and the thousands that followed him and the thousands that had this meal turned down, came, they all left and said, this is too much for us. We can't take it, we're gone. And then Jesus turns to the 12 and says, are you also going to leave? And it, it whittled the crowd down to 12. Not a good church growth strategy. <laughs> but here it is. Here's Jesus saying, this is it. The early church viewed this as a parallel to the Lord's Supper. He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. The only other time this is used similarly is on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 and verse 30. Jesus is talking with these two downcast disciples but when they get to the house and he joins them, he takes the bread and he, he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they knew that it was the Lord. And in each of these meal situations where Jesus does this, uh, John, I was gonna say Jonathan Edwards, I don't think that's his name, but Pillar New Testament commentary says that in each banquet in Luke, the theme of revelation and recognition of Jesus is paramount. This is a defining moment. This is showing who Jesus is. And that God provides for his people beyond all that we can ask or imagine. The disciples had nothing to supply the needs of the people. Yet Jesus abundantly provided from the very little that they were able to surrender to him. And that is the same with us in every area of our lives. That there is so much need in our lives and need in our world around us, but, and, and we can't meet it. The task is impossible. But if we take the little we have and we surrender it to Jesus, he can bless it beyond all that we can ask or imagine. And he can feed thousands of people through our meagerness and the little things. Because it's ultimately not up to us, but it's up to him. 
So you remember when back in chapter nine and verse one to two, Jesus called his, the, the 12 together and he gave them the authority over evil spirits and over diseases and he sent them to preach the gospel. He delegated authority and a mission to them. And in this passage, verse 16, he gave the, the, the broken loaves and fish to the disciples and they passed it out. They were to mediate the blessing. They were mediators of a blessing. They had delegated authority and they mediated the blessing. See, however gifted or empowered your pastors or your leadership is, only Jesus can provide what's truly needed. Because a lot of times, you know, when we, Ben or I get up here, our elders team, as we pray together every Friday morning, we often feel that all we got is a couple loaves and a couple fish. And that the task is just too much. But that's exactly where we all need to be. Where we're overwhelmed to the point of just surrendering what little we have to Jesus and going, nothing's gonna happen unless you do the blessing and the breaking and the giving. Nothing happens without Jesus. Look at verse 17. First phrase, and they all ate and were satisfied. They were satisfied. It wasn't, Jesus didn't just give them enough to just tie them over until they could get home, <laughs> they were stuffed. Right? The, the Ephesians blessing that we've been going back to over and over this year, that, that Jesus would do abundantly more all, than all we can ask or imagine. He, he's giving us a picture of what that looks like here. Deep satisfaction. And what was left over and picked up were baskets of broken pieces, 12. That's kind of a literal word for word translation. The word 12 comes at the end. It kind of, Luke kind of hangs it out right to the end. <laughs> right? What was left over was picked up and baskets of broken pieces, 12. Just an emphatic way to say, Jesus has done something amazing. And actually, nobody in the crowd seems to have clued in that this was a miracle. It was for the 12 to get something into their heads. And didn't he give them something to chew on? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> like, I mean, imagine the next day, you're going with Jesus and like whatever happened yesterday, and you sit down and you go kind of hungry and you open your basket, and you're going, whoa, where did this come from? This came from, this is the leftovers from what we experienced yesterday. And every time you took something out of that basket and sank your teeth into it, you're going, something radical happened in Jesus' provision for us yesterday. And they were going to mull this over during lunch the next day and probably for the rest of their lives. Their inadequate means were the vehicle for Jesus' abundant provision 
And don't miss that all of this happens in a community setting. Have them sit down in groups of 50. And then Jesus blesses it and he gives it to the disciples to set before the crowd. Passing the blessing moves from hand to hand in connection, in community. They didn't just kind of set it out on a table and hope people would pick it up. It was hand to hand passed around. And we connect this back to 9.3 where Jesus calls his disciples to minister and depend on God's provision. And this is a greater lesson for the 12. The crowd shows no knowledge of the response and in fact some, some that doubt kind of the miraculous in, in scripture would say, well, what happened here really was that once they, once they saw this boy and they saw some stuff happening and people were getting out their lunch, everybody just kind of pulled out their lunches and started sharing it because it was kind of, okay, we need to share this around. I was like, okay, that's, wow. <laughs> if you really got to go that far to explain it away. This is, this is something that Jesus was doing so that he could show them who he was. Remember, that's the key question that's, that's really being honed in on through all of these chapters John the Baptist is in prison and he's going, okay, well, I had a different picture of Messiah. Who are you? Should, be we, should be we waiting for somebody else? The disciples on the boat in the midst of the storm and Jesus calms the storm. They're going, who is this? And even the wind and the waves obey him. Herod is going, who is this? Um, and people are saying, uh, you know, one of the prophets or Elijah or John the Baptist raised from the dead and, and Herod is going, I want to know who this is. And so from every walk of life, people are wondering who Jesus is. And this question will be answered next week as we look at the next section in Luke chapter 9. But Jesus is here pointing very specifically to something. That it is his provision and his power over our need that he alone can meet His followers have no way of meeting the needs of the crowd. Jesus gave them, the 12, the leaders, something to chew on. His abundant provision that comes from the surrendering of the little that we have and Jesus taking that and blessing it and breaking it and giving it to the crowds. And this ultimately finds its fulfillment and fullest meaning the night before Jesus is betrayed. And when he says, the feeding of the 5,000 is impossible, yes, but in my taking and blessing and breaking and giving, it is possible for you to feed 5,000. But for you to live in my kingdom And for you to be forgiven and set free from all of the sin of your past and from the wages of sin, which is death, in order for that to happen, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And he took him on himself the nature of humanity 
And he blessed him saying, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. And he broke him on the cross. And he gave this to us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we may become the very righteousness of God, says Paul. Jesus takes on our flesh so that he can be broken, so that we can be redeemed. Jesus provides abundantly more than all we could ask or imagine. He gives us himself. And in that, he satisfies our souls. And the hunger that is so deep within us, and the emptiness, he speaks his truth that we need to hear that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah chapter 53. If Jesus provided you with a basket today that met your deepest needs, the pain of your heart and the emptiness of your soul, what would be in that basket? But for Jesus to fill that basket, you need to surrender to him the little that you do have already. What are the five loaves and the two fish that you might be holding on to? Surrender those to Jesus and he can feed thousands from your meagerness. If Jesus provided you with a basket of leftovers, what would be in it? Lord, thank you that you provide abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine. And Lord, some days we know our own hunger. Some days we are very aware of our inadequacies. We feel overwhelmed with either the needs of our own hearts or our families or the world around us, and we, are, we can be crushed by it if we lose sight of you. Lord, we don't have much in and of ourselves, but Lord, as we surrender to you, you give us far more than we could ask or imagine. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would give us open hands with the stuff of our lives, that we would surrender our five loaves and our two fish, which isn't going to go far if we think about it, but in your hands, with your blessing, so much more. Lord Jesus, thank you that you took on humanity, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
And that at the baptism and at the transfiguration, the voice of the Father said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And the blessing of the Father was upon the Lord Jesus from day one. You took on flesh, you were blessed by the Father. And then, the end of your life, as we're going to get into this journey to Jerusalem, we'll discover that you were broken for our transgressions, you were crushed for our iniquities, the chastisement, which should have been upon us, was laid on you. And by your wounds, we are healed. We are not healed by feeling bad enough about our mistakes and our sins and our mess-ups in life. We are not healed by trying to work ourselves to death and serving in the church or in helping rescue people from whatever they're stuck in. We're not healed by any of that. We're healed by the wounds of Jesus Christ, by his brokenness, not our effort. So, Lord Jesus, help us to surrender those meager loaves and fish that we're trying to impress you with and just receive the reality that you needed to be broken for us so that we could be healed, set free, made whole and restored. And then, Lord, give us the courage to give that to others, to receive it for ourselves, receive that basket of leftovers, open it up and find that you're the good Father who provides for our every needs. Thank you, Lord, that you do that for us. Open our hearts to receive your goodness and your grace. Help us to chew on the abundance of your amazing love in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Draw our hearts to you that we would be freed. In Jesus' name, amen.